So thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you as part of our festival. And uh, because you're a living legend, I consider you that because you know, you. I guess that you're the person that knows the most about the Irish soldiers of Mexico because you did a research that was a book. And after the book, there was a movie about it. Mm -hmm. So um, for the people who don't know a lot about the history, what links Ireland with Mexico in that part of uh, history, can you give us a, a little bit of a summary? Yes, thank you, Yovana. Yeah, the name of the book is The Irish Soldiers of Mexico. It was published back in 1996, almost uh, 30 years ago. And um, it tells the story of the Irish Battalion, known in English as the St. Patrick's Battalion, or in Spanish, Batallón de San Patricio, which fought on the Mexican side against the unjust United States invasion of Mexico in 1846. Now, the battalion was mostly Irish, about 80% Irish, Irish-American, but there were a few Germans and a few, um, and a few Scots uh, as well in the group. Um, they, they fought in all the major battles. They had their own battle flag. On one side was the Mexican arms with the, uh, you know, with the cactus and the, and the eagle. On the other side was a portrait of St. Patrick, and underneath it said Erin Gobra, Ireland forever. And they fought in all the major battles. But at the end of the war, they were uh, the ones that survived were captured. And those that had deserted from the US Army prior to the war were hanged. Um, those who had, had, had deserted after the war, rather, were hanged. And those who had deserted prior to the war were whipped by, um, by muleteers, over 50 lashes, and then sentenced to, uh, uh, sentenced to imprisonment for the duration. And what was so ironic about these punishments is that there were over 5,000 desertions during the war, but only the Irish Catholics were, were punished. You know, and, and it's, it's important to keep in mind the prejudice that existed at the time. Um, you might remember that the Irish famine occurred in the 1840s. And so many, many uh, you know, Irish, they immigrated to the new world. Over a million died, but those that, that survived, many of them immigrated to the New World. And at one point, there were over a million Irish in the 1840s, uh, you know, immigrants to Ireland, uh, you know, from Ireland to, to the United States. Many of them in the slums of Boston, where the death rate of newborn Irish was 10 times that of, of Anglo Saxons. Wow. You know, so many people wonder well, why did the Irish join the Mexican army? Well, most of them had gone into the army in the US in the first place as a way of staying alive because there were no jobs available. Um, ads in the paper for jobs were help wanted, no Irish need apply. Um, the bar rooms used to have signs on them, no Irish niggers or dogs allowed. It was a very, very oppressive environment uh, for Irish people. The belief was that the Irish were not as evolved as the Anglo-Saxon, <clears throat> that especially the Catholics owed their allegiance to the Pope rather than to the president of the country, that they were you know, not really welcome people. So when the, the Irish discovered that they were poised to invade Mexico, which was a Catholic country, 
many of them deserted and joined the Mexicans. Um, okay, it's it's very interesting. I I always wondered uh, what's your opinion about like this is not a part of history that they teach you at school, you know, no. because always the the history is told by by the victors. Uh, mm -hmm. So like. Why do you think it's important to tell this story and uh, to remember? Yeah, well, you know, the reason it was not told in the first place was, you know, as you say, history is always written by the winners, <clears throat> but also the atrocities you know, of this war were just really horrible. Um, you know, we've seen the, you know, the pictures of the Russians, um, you know, destroying the buildings with artillery in, in the Ukraine and uh, killing civilians and we think oh my god that's so horrible but of course you know the u.s army did the same thing in mexico they actually used the cathedral uh in monterey to to uh, gauge the uh the range of their artillery and the and the cathedral in in monterey was where the army had put the civilians to to protect them is that this is the safest place in the city you know no one is going to attack the cathedral, <clears throat> but that's precisely where they did attack, and they killed, you know, many, many uh, civilians, which is part of the reason why why Monterey surrendered. Um, you know, the same thing happened in Veracruz. In Veracruz, they bombarded the city of Veracruz for three days and three nights, uh, incessantly. It was the largest amphibious invasion in the history of the world until uh, you know D-Day in World War II, um, and the and the uh, bishop, you know, came out and said, please, please, you're killing civilians. And they said, well, you know, surrender the city and we'll stop, which is not very different from what's going on right now in the Ukraine. So it's, it's not something that, you know, when I was growing up, when they taught history in the school, it was, you know, to help create good citizens. And if you want to create good, good citizens, it was believed you don't tell them all the dirty uh, things about your, about your country's history. You know, you show them as a progressive country and getting better all the time. <clears throat> you know, and this was just, you know, kind of too terrible, you know, to share in the history classrooms. So most people never, never learned about it. You know, President, uh, you know, uh, uh, President Obama was given a speech at Harvard one time, and he said, one of the great things about the United States is that it's never invaded another country for territory. Okay. <laughs> you know, and here's, and here's a very smart man. Who's, who's been through college and uh, been through law school at Harvard and still didn't know this history, you know. Uh, and when I first started doing the research, <laughs> I, I remember I went to the National Archives and I, I mentioned to one person that, that, you know, I was researching the Irish battalion that fought in Mexico. And I said, oh, that's, that's a, just a story that the Mexicans made up. That's not true. But I went to the military archives finally and that's where I met a man named Michael Pilgrim. And he said, oh yes, there was an Irish battalion. And he says, I have many, many you know, boxes of, of, of uh, records on that, you know? And I said, well, could I make copies of it? I was there with a bunch of, uh, of Mexican kids. We were on you know, a program called Week Without Walls <clears throat> and uh, visiting Washington, DC. And he said, sure, you can make copies, but it's, it's like a dollar a copy. And there's probably 70,000 pages. <laughs> oh my God. I said, I said, well, I'm a teacher from Mexico. I don't have that kind of money. And he yeah. said, well, let me, 
you leave me your name and your contact information, I'll get back with you. And a couple of months later, he, he called me and he said, how does $39 sound? And I said, what? He said, I put all the records on Microfish and I'll send them to you, $39. Wow. So that's how I got all the, all the US records. And, and, and uh, now the Mexican records were not easy to get either. You know, I went to various places in military archives and so on and so forth. Also to, to a museum called, <coughs> excuse me, called the Museo de Intervenciones yeah. in Churubusco. In Churubusco. Yeah. And I said, could I get in to, uh, you know, to look at your archives and to look in the basement and see what relics you have of the Mexican War and so on, of the War of Intervention, they called it there. Right? And they said, yeah, fill out this application and, you know, and I filled it out and they said, well, do you have a, a letter from your university saying you're a legitimate investigador? And I said, no. Uh, do you have a letter from the Secretary of Defense saying that you're allowed to look at uh, military documents? I said, no. <laughs> you have your wife, I know it's your wife, do you have her passport? No. <laughs> so I did all these questions and they said, we're sorry, we can't, we can't let you in. So I was leaving and I ran into an Irish priest who was working in a parish nearby. And oh, he said, really? yeah. Wow. yeah. And he, he said, you look very, uh, you look very sad, son. What's going on now? And I told him. And he said, oh, when you filled out the application and it says, Pais de origen, what did you put? And I said, my country of origin? I put United States. <clears throat> he said, come back after shift change and fill it out again. And this time put Irlanda. And okay. so I did. I did, and they said, ah, paso de, paso de, senor. Oh my God. <clears throat> and I got in, I got all these documents. <clears throat> I wow. even found uh, rifles that were from the 1846 period that had been buried in the, in the, in the basement of the convent, wow. wrapped in oil cloth, perfectly preserved. And I found out that they had been smuggled into Guatemala because that was the only country that could pass through the Veracruz blockade. Mm -hmm. and then brought by hand uh, overland from Guatemala to Mexico City. But by the time they got to Mexico City, the war was over. So they just wow. buried them in the convent. Okay. And, and they were still in the basement of the convent, you know, almost 200 years later. So it was an exciting, you know, research project. It's, it's so interesting. And honestly, like, they, they don't teach that in Mexico either. No. Like, we might have like a little you know idea about this that time in history but i we don't really dig into that you know there, well well part of that was part of that was after the war was over both sides wanted to pursue a policy that would project to the future and 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 lessen the animosity you know <laughs> and uh you know a number of things took place at that time that distorted history. For example, you might have read some articles that said the Ninos Héroes were not really heroes. They were boys that were put on discipline and some of them were shot in the back and so on and so forth. All of that was propaganda put out by Mexican generals who had inherited their jobs, you know, because their fathers were in government or their uncles were in, in the army. Instead yeah. of going to the military school, which was, you know, where Cherubusco was. 
that was a new idea. Cherubusco was the new, uh, not Cherubusco, sorry, the, um, Chapultepec. Chapultepec. Chapultepec was the new, was the Mexican West Point to train offices you know, professionally instead mm -hmm. of having offices like you know, Santa Ana and so on who just you know, inherited their positions. So a lot of Mexican generals kind of poo-pooed the idea that, that there was any heroism at, at, at Chapultepec, which is, of course, fake history. There was heroism. Mm -hmm. and, and even the boys that were shot in the back, they were shot because they were surrounded. Whichever way they went, they were going to get shot, you know. It's like the fake news, but in, in the past, how exactly. fake news were spread, exactly. right? <laughs> so a lot of Mexican history just kind of blames the whole thing on Santa Ana. Oh, it was all Santa Ana's fault. He sold uh, out to the U.S. Yeah. and that's how it happened, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and on the U.S. side, oh, well, all that territory was uninhabited anyway. So, you know, Mexican, Mexican really didn't want it. They sold it to us. Yeah. You know, well, no, you know, it'd be kind of like, you know, yes, they did pay several million in reparations, but that would be like, that would be like you have a brand new, uh, 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 you know, Cadillac, say, that's worth $50,000. And I say, I point a gun at you and I say, okay, I'd like to buy that Cadillac for $100, sell it. That's exactly what happened. You know, you know, we took California, the southern part of Mexico, of, of Texas, uh, New Mexico, uh, parts of Utah, Kansas, Wyoming, <clears throat> Colorado. It was the largest land steal in, in, in the history of the Americas. Yeah. So much territory. Now that you see in, in the map, exactly. it was very big. It was, it was half of the Mexican territory. Yeah, you know, and and lots of that was not uninhabitable. Some of it was San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, all of them course, pretty yeah. sizable areas, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, Mexico went overnight from from the possibility of uh, being a third world, you know, being a first world nation to being a third world nation, whereas the U.S., which at that time was a third world nation. Now I had ports in San Francisco, and had ports in New York, had ports coast to coast, and it had transportation lines from, from, from sea to sea, shining sea. Right? Yeah, that's amazing. And in terms of uh, what we were talking before uh, recording, the repercussions uh, that are like, that we currently see, as, as you said, there's scholarships, there is a build, uh, uh, bridges being built between Mexico and Ireland uh -huh. and I think it's very important to highlight them and to spread the word about them because uh, Ireland and Mexico have a great relationship actually yeah so no it's one. very important to say it you know one of the great things you know when you know, happened when the the Irish soldiers of Mexico was published is um, that it was translated almost immediately into Spanish as well by a Mexican general uh, his name was Cleva Chavez Marin. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, it was, it, people were saying, well, that's a niche book. It might sell a few thousand copies. Well, it sold out its first three editions in less than 90 days. It sold out its Spanish edition in, in 60 days. <clears throat> and, and prior to that time, there was only a plaque, you know, commemorating some of the men 
in the furniture store in San Angel. <clears throat> but after the publication, there was a documentary made by, by Jason Ho called The Soldiers of St. Patrick, which was nominated for an award. Um, the Mexican Postal Department and the Irish Post Office each published a commemorative stamp. The following year, there was an MGM movie starring Tom Berenger called One Man's Hero, in which I was the, the historical advisor. There was a, a musical CD in Ireland by Ry Cooter and the Chieftains. Um, there were gold letters in the Jalisco legislature and ultimately in the federal legislature in Mexico City saying, Héroes de la República, Los San Patricios, the heroes of the Republic. Okay. My novel, Molly Malone and the San Patricios, came out. The Search for John Riley, which is a great documentary, you're looking for what happened to the leader. Uh, John Riley, by the way, was the leader of the San Patricios. He was born in Clifton County, Galway. In Connemara, yeah. And yeah, now there's a, a memorial for him in downtown Clifton. Um, I was invited by the Mexican embassy to present the book at all the major universities in Ireland, at Trinity and at mm. and, and UI Galway and so on and so forth. A bust of John Riley was erected in Mexico City as a gift of the Irish government. <clears throat> but also, I, I think it's also resulted in new trade uh, and new cultural relationships. For example, there are massive use of Mexican cement called Cemex for Dublin construction, scholarships for Mexican students to Trinity and NUI Galway, cultural exchanges between the two countries. I just did a presentation on uh, women of the, of the Irish rising in Mexico City just recently <clears throat> for St. Bridget's Day. Um, the Irish dance schools in Guadalajara and Mexico City, which you're a big part of, Irish pipe band in Mexico City, mm -hmm. the San Patricio Mariachi band, which you're going to be, be introducing a little later in the program. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, many, many really positive things have resulted. And, and the other thing that I'm most proud of is that now when, when, when American students study this period of time, instead of skipping from, oh, the exploration of the West to the Civil War, they now are obliged to study the the um, the war with Mexico, and to and to realize that there was tremendous opposition to that war at the time, and that even uh, you know one person who was in the war, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, when he became a U.S. president, he said it was the most unjust war ever waged by a larger nation against a weaker. So you know the recognition mm -hmm. by the United States that. Uh, that it was in fact, you know, a horrible, horrible thing to to do to invade Mexico at the time. Yeah. Wow, that's that's a very strong, a very strong comment to, to say. No. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and that and students finally, you know, can learn the real history. Of course. <laughs> you know, one of the great things about teaching in Mexico for me was that I was able to tell the kids in my class the true story. And uh, you know, one of them asked one day, he said, well, were there any heroes? You know, we all know about Santa Ana and how he supposedly, you know, sold out the country. Were there any Mexican heroes in that war? And I said, of course, but that's what happens when it's only told from one side. And they said, well, give us an example of a Mexican mm -hmm. hero. And I said, okay, General Pedro, 
General Pedro Anaya, who later became president, he was the, the officer in charge of the defense of Cherubusco. And mm -hmm. they were fighting off the gringos and, and winning, except what happened was a spark caught the ammunition park and blew it up. So all of a sudden, they had no gunpowder, they, no, they had no bullets to fight, and they, and they had to surrender. As a matter of fact, the white flag was raised by an American because he, he saw the slaughter of, of, of uh, them being fired upon and unable to return fire. Afterwards, General Twiggs went into the convent, and he, as he was taking the sword from General Anaya, he said, General, where is your ammunition park so we can confiscate it? And, and General Anaya said, si tuviera una par un parque, ustedes no estarían aquí. If I had an ammunition park, you wouldn't be here. And that defiance, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a good example of, of uh, Mexican defiance, even in defeat. And, and the Irish people, I think, love that kind of story too, because yeah. they've never won a major battle. When you're, when you're fighting against a tremendous force, whether it's Ireland against Great Britain, and of course they were completely shattered uh, in the 1916 rebellion, which they, the, you know, the British leveled all of downtown Dublin, mm -hmm. and, then, and then hanged all the, uh, well, not hanged, but uh, uh, brought before the firing squad, all the leaders, uh, you know, put everyone else in jail, including over 80 women, over 80 women. Mm. You realize when you when you face with a major force that's that's ten times stronger than you are, you know any kind of uh, any kind of defiance is bravery, you know. Of course, yeah. You know we you know we look at the Ukrainians today and we see their bravery, but the bravery of the Irish in 1916, the bravery of the uh, of the San Patricios and the Mexicans in mm. in 1846 is very similar. Yeah, I find it similar too. And I don't know if you agree about this, but um, I think the Irish people are rebels. You know, there's a long history about rebellions, and I think there that is present in Mexico too in yeah, the history. I agree. Yeah. So I think that's a, a big similarity, and I also think that they could sit in the Mexican society, and that's why we can, you know, get along that well with each other. Exactly. And, and the fact that we don't believe in the superiority of a particular race, mm, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's very important. Ah, that's important, yeah. You know, they were teaching in the schools in Boston, believe it or not, the Anglo-Saxons were teaching, and, and this is in all their geography books and biology books, mm -hmm. they were measuring the brain, the, 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 uh, you know, the craniums of, of, uh, of, of, of people who had died, and, and they said, it's apparent from the cranium of the Negro and the Indian that they're inferior, that they haven't evolved as much as the Anglo-Saxon. <clears throat> then they did the same thing in the Mexican War. It's apparent from the cranium of the Irish and the, uh, and the Mexican that they're uh -huh. still on a lower scale of evolution oh, and, they're yes. not, and they're not the same as us. So it's easy to kill them. That is sad. That is very sad. No. And I, I want to ask you also about the term gringos. Uh -huh. It's a term that a lot of people know, but we don't know the history. There's some theories about it, but 
is there an idea that, that you have or that you have researched about the term? Yeah, yeah, the real, you know, of course, there's a lot of stories. You know, one of them says that it occurred during the Mexican War because the, the US soldiers had a song, Green Grows the Grass of Home. But that's not true. It existed long before that. And it comes from a bastardization of the word griego. Okay. And even the Romans had that. If you if you ever seen the play Julius Caesar, mm -hmm. uh, you know that that uh, Brutus is talking to Cassius, and he saw Cassius talking with some other people, and, and, and he says, uh, 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 you know, rather Cassius saw Brutus talking to some other people, and he said, "Who are you talking about with those? You know, I, I I heard them saying you know, saying something in Greek. Who are you talking to?" And Brutus says, it was all Greek to me. Even though educated people in Rome knew how to speak Greek, they dismissed it as a barbarian language because it would seem they might be disloyal to the to Caesar. Yeah. So the the expression, it's all Greek to me, means it's a foreign tongue. It's a barbar. And the word barbaro, you know, barbarous comes from someone that can't speak Latin. That's what it means. And mm -hmm. you know, it is Barbaro. Okay. If you're a barbar barbarian, it means you don't speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't speak you know, the Roman language, which is Latin. Okay. So, okay. so a Griego was a foreigner. And okay. Gringo, the same thing, it's a foreigner, whether it's Canadian, whether it's US, whether mm -hmm. it's Irish, they're all Gringos. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, we, we use that a lot in like nowadays in Mexico. Yeah, right? and it's and it's not a disparaging, you know, unless you say pinche gringo, maldito gringo, whatever. <laughs> but just gringo by itself is just neutral. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a bad word. Um. Okay. My last question uh, would be, um, there is a plaque in uh, outside of the museum. Uh, in Mexico City, in Churubusco, right. and uh, there's a Hogan, and uh, right. that's your last name. So, right. what is the connection with you and that plaque? Can you tell us? Yeah, yeah. Roger Hogan, which was one of the uh, one of the people that was hanged um, in in San Angel, was was uh, probably my great 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 just two greats, I think, uh, uncle. You know, the the brother of my great great grandfather, and uh, he was he was hanged. So you know this this hanging business was was also contrary to even American law at the time. Um, they were all in Mexican uniforms, which means they had joined the Mexican army and they were combatants. And with a combatant, you're supposed to arrest them and hold them until the exchange of prisoners, not hang them. And the only time hanging could be used as a penalty. No, even the British didn't hang the Irish, you know, you know as, as, as a rule in the 20th century. Showing. But but the only time you suppose it was, it was the firing squad for desertion, but the only time you could hang someone was for rape or if they were in civilian clothes behind enemy lines carrying a weapon. Mm -hmm. So the deaths were illegal. And after it was over, you know, the general in charge said, well, we want everyone to know whether they're Protestant or Catholic, that this is the punishment we meet out. And then he said, oh, the religion has nothing to do with it. 
well, obviously religion had something to do with it. You know, yeah. in those days, there were certain things that, that we understood. Americans were defined not by who they were, but who they were not. Americans were not Irish. Americans were not Catholic. Americans were not Mexicans. Americans were not Negroes. <laughs> you know, wow. what, what they were not, what they were, were Anglo-Saxon Protestants. You know, wow. that's how America was defined at the time in the 1840s. Mm -hmm. and, and most people were loyal, not to the federal government, but to their own particular, you know, region. They were Virginians. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they were Bostonians, they were Texans. But people didn't go around saying, you know, we're all Americans, we're all united, we're all the same. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I was in Connemara uh, for the festival for the commemoration of John Riley. Uh -huh. And there's also a rifle there because uh, they were commemorating him as uh -huh. the leader of the St. Patrick's Battalion. And in that particular area of Ireland, you can really feel the Mexican sentiment. I was very surprised because they invited us to dance and we were there and they knew about the story. They knew about the hero. And it's very interesting to see that in this part of the world. Well, what was really wonderful was when the, you know, the Mexican embassy paid me to go there. And, mm -hmm. and um, as they were arranging all the dates for me to speak at the various places, one of the places was the Clifton City Hall. And, and I had a Facebook friend who lived in Clifton. And I wrote her and I said, I'm going to be in Clifton. Her name was Pat McDermott. I'm going to be in Clifton at uh, 10 o'clock at City Hall presenting this and this and this. She goes, oh, no, no. That's like the worst time. There's a, there's a, um, a football match between Galway and Dublin. And everyone's going up to Dublin for the, for the football match. And uh, she said, no, it's the worst time. So I talked to the ambassador. I said, could you set it up? At no, because everything's booked. You know, you have to be someplace else the next day and so on. And I wrote it back and I said, no, everything's booked. She goes, well, let me see what I can do. And she called up all her friends, you know, wow. and also posted on Facebook that this event was taking place and please come. And this is very important. It's a once in a lifetime thing. And, uh, and she said, I don't know if it'll work or not, but I, I tried people that I don't that I know wouldn't go to Dublin for the football game. <laughs> mm, that's amazing. Well, anyway, anyway yeah. I got to Clifton and the hall was filled. It was packed. Wow. She had, and this is a Facebook friend. She had wow. packed the hall with all, all her friends and neighbors and stuff. That's amazing. That is beautiful. You know, she, even, she even had a friend that came over from France for the day. <laughs> That's Ireland for you. <laughs> no, I know it was wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so our meeting is going to end in three minutes. I will stop recording now. Okay.